All right, Hotep, everybody. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. It is Monday, June 24th, 2019, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, so we should be broadcasting on uh, Facebook Live. Let's see, let's start this on Facebook Live, and we'll be broadcasting on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, also. Okay, so let's uh, start that up. I'm broadcasting through Crowdcast and still have to get used to this because uh, it allows me to broadcast on our YouTube channel and uh, Facebook at the same time. Okay, so trying to start this up. All right, so I hope everybody's doing well today. Um, I wanted to talk about this topic, so on my Sunday night show, the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation, uh, Sunday, June 23rd, I talked about the H.R. 40 hearing, the hearings that took place in the House Judiciary Subcommittee dealing with H.R. Um, 40 and reparations, okay? So uh, watch that on our YouTube channel and it's on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. And in that show, one of the things I talked about briefly was the GI Bill, okay? Uh, the GI Bill and how the GI Bill discriminated against African-American soldiers, okay? So June 22nd was the anniversary of President Roosevelt signing the GI Bill into law. So it was June 22nd, 1944, all right? Okay, we're broadcasting, let's see, on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, and we're broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. So, uh, how's everybody doing? And then also in Crowdcast, uh, we have Greg Osborne watching uh, us in Crowdcast as well, okay? And while we're broadcasting, I'll also uh, talk a little bit about the online course uh, that uh, I'm teaching, the eight-week, 16-hour uh, online course that I'm teaching. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, all right? And uh, you can watch from around the world. We do it live on Wednesdays, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then all the uh, classes are archived also, okay? So we'll post information here in the thread of the broadcast about that as well. Okay, so I, I talked a little bit at the end of the show about the GI Bill, but I ran out of time, didn't have time to get into it. Now, at the hearing, if you saw it, and we uh, shared the broadcast while it was live, uh, taking place Wednesday, June 19th, economist Dr. Julian Malvo talked about the GI Bill and how it discriminated against African-American uh, World War II veterans and, and, and later other veterans who were trying to use the GI Bill to get low-interest loans to buy houses, go to school, etc., Okay, so history.com, the official website of the History Channel, has some good articles here dealing with the GI Bill. So we're going to get into this. And then also, you've heard me talk about the GI Bill before because in, um, the, in the book, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy, uh, from, uh, you know, they deal with this as well. Okay, all right, so let's, uh, let's jump into this and let me share this uh, broadcast also. Um, as well, share this on my personal page. Everybody share this broadcast on your Facebook page and invite your friends to tune in. And then uh, African-American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. 
we'll let you know how you can advertise um, also with the African History Network. Okay, so um, History.com has a really good article, FDR signs GI Bill, FDR, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs GI Bill, okay? And uh, that took place June 22nd, 1944. And it took place about two or three weeks after the Normandy invasion of France, which was June 6, 1944. So, you know, we just commemorated the 75th anniversary of the invasion of Normandy. 155,000 U.S. troops invade Normandy. There were almost 2,000 African Americans who were part of that. For some reason, they didn't talk about the African American troops that invaded. They just act like they didn't exist. All right. But um, on June, uh, June 22nd, 1944, U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt signs the GI Bill. Now, the GI Bill was an unprecedented act, okay, an unprecedented act uh, of legislation designed to compensate returning members of the armed services, known as GIs, stands for government issue, known as GIs, for their efforts in World War II. Now, as, as the last of its sweeping New Deal reforms, so the New Deal is a group of bills that President Roosevelt signs during the Great Depression, and this helps bring, this helps provide aid to largely white people, to a lesser extent African Americans, during the Great Depression, all right? So, uh, this was the, the last of a sweeping New, uh, sweeping new Deal reforms. Re President Roosevelt's administration created the GI Bill officially uh, called the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944. The Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944. And um, signing this, he was hoping to avoid a relapse into the Great Depression after the World War II ended. So World War II ends basically in 1945. So President Roosevelt particularly wanted to prevent a repeat of the bonus march of 1932. And this occurred when you had 20,000 unemployed veterans and their families uh, who flocked in protest to Washington, D.C. So the GI Bill is to provide aid to these, these veterans when they're coming back home from the war. All right. And we know that the baby boomer generation starts basically 1945, 1946. These men are coming back. They're having families. They have to buy houses. Their families are expanding. And, uh, they, and, and the GI Bill was designed to give them low interest loans so they could uh, go to college, get low interest loans so they could buy homes and also low interest loans so they can start businesses. All right. So these men wouldn't come back, be unemployed. They can gain skills and uh, go to college, start careers, buy homes, etc. Now, at the same time, you're going to have um, the federal housing, uh, the federal housing act of 1949. This is also going to allow white people to put uh, three percent down on low interest loans and get houses built out in the newly formed suburbs. The GI Bill is for veterans. The federal housing act was for basically the majority of white people. When African Americans tried to take advantage of the Federal Housing Act of 1949, we were discriminated against that and they used the redlining system. The redlining system was created by the Homeowners Loan Corporation, which was created in 1933 as part of the New Deal. Okay, and the redlining system discriminated against uh, African Americans trying to buy homes and when we tried to buy homes uh, using the GI Bill, we were discriminated once again. So when we heard our sister, Dr. Julian Malvo, at the uh, HR 40 reparations hearings, 
she's talking about how systemic racism, she's talking about how policies have been put in place to maldistribute wealth, okay, and how African Americans were discriminated against when it comes to accumulating wealth, that these are all legacies of slavery. All right, so we have to understand this chronology of history. Okay, so President Roosevelt particularly wanted to prevent a repeat of the bonus march in 1932 when 20,000 unemployed veterans and their families flocked in protest to Washington. Now, the American Legion, the American Legion, which was a veterans organization, successfully fought uh, for many other provisions that were included in the uh, GI Bill which gave returning servicemen access to unemployment compensation, low-interest home and low-interest business loans, and most importantly, funding for education, funding for higher education, going to college. And this is going, the GI Bill is going to drastically increase the number of Americans that enroll in college, all right? Now, by giving veterans money for tuition, living expenses, books, supplies, and equipment, the GI Bill effectively transformed higher education in America. So before World War II, college had, been, had often been looked at as an option for only 10 to 15 percent of young Americans, okay? Largely just looked at something that, that the elite did, okay? And university campus, campuses had become known as a haven for the most privileged classes. Well, by 1945, two years after World War II ends, veterans made up half of the nation's college enrollment. And three years later, in 1950, nearly 500,000 Americans graduated from college. Now, if we look at 1939, you only had 160,000 Americans graduated from college. So because of the GI Bill, just in that short period of time, from 19, basically looking at 1945, okay 46 to 1950 we see the numbers of Americans uh, graduating uh, that almost triples the number that graduated in 1939 you had hundred and sixty thousand who graduated in 1939 from colleges uh, colleges colleges and universities in the US in 1950 it was 500,000 this is because of government policy so when people now what I find interesting is that you have people who say, well, you know, uh, nobody who was a slave, uh, uh, nobody who owns slaves exists now, things like this, right? But when you look at the GI Bill, here you have taxpayers paying for the GI Bill. It's the, the taxpayers who did not serve in the war are paying for, were paying for the GI Bill, paying for men who did serve in the war to go to... Uh, 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 go to college. You had African Americans who didn't serve in the war who were paying taxes, and their taxpayer dollars are paying for this also. But many of them are being discriminated against uh, uh, taking advantage of the GI Bill. You know, I find that interesting. Some of the same people against socialism support the GI Bill. Now, as educational institutions open their doors to this diverse new group of students, okay. As educational, let me turn off this alarm. As educational institutions open their doors to this diverse new group of students, overcrowded classrooms and residences prompted widespread improvement and expansion of university facilities and teaching staffs. Okay, so as you have more Americans 
uh, largely white men, because this is who this is the majority of who served in World War II. There were 1.2 million African American soldiers who served in World War II, but they're largely discriminated against when it comes to using the GI Bill. So as more Americans are going to college. Now, this causes the colleges have to upgrade. They have to add more classes. They have to expand. They have to add more teaching staff, more professors. Okay? So, an array of new vocational courses were developed across the country, including advanced training in ed education, agriculture, commerce, mining, and fishing skills that had previously been taught only informally. The GI Bill became one of the major forces that drove an economic expansion in America that lasted 30 years after World War II. So even people who didn't serve in World War II, their taxpayer dollars are paying for this. this the GI Bill had helped to transform America and helped to move many of these white American families into the middle class because the, the, because the, the man was able to go to college, uh, uh, get training, and, and, and get a career get into a career and then he was able to take out low interest loans to buy homes largely in the newly formed suburbs that African Americans couldn't buy homes in so now they can buy homes they can accumulate wealth when it comes to the increased value of their home they can pay that home off in 30 years and hand down and, 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 and pass on an asset to their children when the parent dies they can pass on an asset pass on a house that is paid for free and clear and then if the children want to they can live in this house don't have to pay a mortgage just have to pay the property taxes or they can rent that house out to someone else and 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 have an income producing asset this is what the GI Bill allowed this is understanding policy laws politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth pawn resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Okay? So, when I, when I hear people tell African Americans, well, if you just try harder, you'll be successful. Well, if, let, let's back up, let's look at some history here. If hard work was the common denominator for success in America, then African Americans would be the most successful people in the history of this country. Because who worked harder than the slave for 246 years? Who worked harder than the sharecropper in Jim Crow, uh, uh, Mississippi, or Alabama, or Georgia? Who worked harder than the domestic? Who worked harder than the washerwoman? Who worked harder than somebody on the convict leasing system, and they were railroaded, not even supposed to be in the convict leasing system? So what, what people don't want to talk about, and many people, unfortunately, don't understand history. Okay, see, this is why you hear me talk about um, and I dealt with this on my show Sunday. This is why you hear me talk about this study from the Southern Poverty Law Center, Teaching Hard History American Slavery, Teaching Hard History American Slavery from the Southern Poverty Law Center, which documents how this study, it's a free study, you can download it, you've heard me talk about it before. This study documents how the history of slavery is being incorrectly taught in schools all across the country, and the legacy of slavery is being incorrectly taught, going into Reconstruction, going into Jim Crow, World War I, World War II, the Great Migration, 1915 to 1970, all of that stuff, going into the Civil Rights Movement, okay? If 
The only reason why African Americans needed the Civil Rights Act in 1964 and the Voting Rights Act in 1965 is because the rights that the U.S. Constitution said were already ours were being denied to us. Well, this is the legacy of slavery. Okay, so we have to under we have to understand all this. So when you when African Americans are talking about reparations, we're talking about repairing the damage that was done and repairing the damage from the legacy of slavery, the maldistribution of wealth, power, and resources. Um, there were, if you look at the article, and there were a bunch of articles that I talked about. There were some articles I talked about Sunday night. There were more articles that I had, but I didn't have time to get to because I only have two hours on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation. Now, I'm happy that I have two hours because it could be a whole lot worse, okay, because, <laughs> you know, there's a deficit of African-American on radio stations in the city of Detroit, so you, you got to do what you got to do. And some of you just heard that uh, Radio 1 is selling 105.9, the hip-hop, they're selling 105.9, the R&B station. That's going to be sold at the end of the year. And also, uh, they're selling 107.5, the hip-hop station. So there's, a, there's, a, there's gentrification of the airwaves taking place in Detroit. So we have to do what we have to do. But if we look at the article, uh, for instance, from the New York Times, June 20, 2019. Black people's land was stolen. Black people's land was stolen. Now, this was written by Andrew uh, Carl. I guess it's pronounced Carl. K-A-H-R-L. He says, any discussion of reparations must include how this happened, who did it, and the laws, policies, and practices allowed it, that allowed it. So all this deals with laws, policies. Slavery was sanctioned by the U.S. Constitution. Go to loc.gov, Library of Congress website, read the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 9 of the U.S. Constitution, continue the transatlantic slave trade for an additional 20 years. Um, Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution laid the foundation for the uh, fugitive slave laws. Okay, We know that uh, the uh, the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787, which did not state that black people were three-fifths of a human being, by the way. That's just a, mis this is a total misunderstanding of history and a misunderstanding of law. This gave an incentive to slave-holding states to have more slaves so they can get uh, more representation when it came to seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. The Electoral College, created by the U.S. Constitution, signed September 17, 1787, gave... Uh, more electoral votes to slaveholding states because it gave more votes when it came to determining the population and elect and the electoral college the, the how many electoral electoral votes a particular state has is based upon population how is it calculated you take the number of seats in the u.s in the u.s senate that a particular state has each state has two you add to that the number of seats that a particular state has in the U.S. House of Representatives. That tells you how many seats a, that, that tells you how many electoral college votes a particular state has. So Michigan has 16. The state of California has the most in the union at this point at 66. is based upon population. All right. So if we look at 1800 when, uh, the year 1800 when Thomas Jefferson becomes president, Virginia was the California of its time. Virginia had the largest population. They had the largest um, electoral college, the largest number of electoral college votes, but that was based upon their slave population. They had 12 electoral college votes. So we have to understand this history and understand the law. And this in the U.S. Constitution sanctioned slavery.
the enslavement of African people. So politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. So when African Americans are talking about reparations, we're talking about repairing the damage done by the legacy of slavery, not just 246 years of slavery where 262 skills, trades, and crafts that African people had in this country were exploited largely for free. We're talking about the lasting legacy of slavery, the maldistribution of wealth, power, and resources. We're talking about the wealth gap where the uh, median uh, uh, household net worth of a white family is $171,400 compared to $17,000 for the, for the median household uh, net worth of an African-American family. Okay, It's because of these policies, historic policies, that cause this maldistribution of wealth, power, and resources. When we look at land, okay, you see, uh, you've heard me talk about the Homestead Act, and, and, and uh, Dr. Julian Malvo talked about this as well. Well, you had hundreds of million, hundreds of million, uh, hundreds of millions of acres of land given away from 1862 and on because of the Homestead Act of 1862, which gave away about 245 million acres of land for over 100 years. The last land giveaway was 80 acres of land in Alaska that was given away in 1988. From 1862 to 1988, the U.S. government is giving away over oh, about 245 million acres of land. You have taxpayer dollars funding this. You have taxpayers who are funding this who weren't alive during the Civil War, but they're still giving away land largely to white people. And African Americans are largely being excluded from this land giveaway after we worked the land for free for 246 years. So what we're dealing with, this is why we have to understand a chronology of history, okay? What we're dealing with is the lasting legacy of slavery. So when we talk about this history, this is not an attack on anyone. This is not, you know, and, and I talked about this on my show Sunday night because at 9, 10 a.m., uh, the superstation WFDF in Detroit, we have a diverse listening audience. It's not just African-Americans who listen. Um, and we have, you know, this this would be on eight different podcast platforms. We have people of different ethnicities that watch the videos on the African History Network and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel. So people come to these conversations with various levels of understanding of history based upon their personal experiences. Okay? Americans in general are ignorant of history. And this is one of the things that this study from the Southern Poverty Law Center talks about. If you read... Uh, Tana Hesse Coates uh, 2014 expose in the Atlantic the case for reparations and here's the actual magazine it's online you can read it but when it came out I bought the magazine I talked about it on my show because I read the, I read his I read his uh, his uh, expose 17 page expose his article man this thing was deep you could tell Tana Hesse Coates did his research on this that's why he was testifying at the uh, at the HR 40 hearing Okay, he was qualified to testify. Now, these, these black people that the uh, Republicans went and got, Burgess Owens, the former football player from the 1970s, I don't know why he was there. And then Colin Hodges, okay, I don't know why he was there. Okay, you saw that he had some people who were unqualified. And they had the sister, the Democrats had Dr. Julie Malvo, who's an economist, who has a PhD in economics. The sister knows what she's talking about. And once again, I firmly believe that if uh, I firmly believe if Dr. Julian Malvo had been a man, 
she would have gotten more questions because she got to the point. She said, you know, I'm frustrated that economic questions are being directed to non-economists. I, I, I really think that a lot of people did not believe that this black woman had a Ph.D. in economics. She's actually an economist because, you know, when you watch MSNBC, I was just watching MSNBC. Well, it's on right now. Muted. But I was just watching MSNBC and on Ali Velshi's show. You know, he had an economist on. Well, it was a white male or older white male. Usually when you watch CNN, MSNBC, I don't know why you'd be watching Fox News, but OK. Usually when you see economists, these are usually older white males. You usually don't see African-American female economists, even though they do exist. All right. So I'm glad our sister, Dr. Julian Malvo was there. But back to this article here from uh the New York Times from June 20, 2019, Black People's Land Was Stolen. In the article, one of the things he says is that in the decades after the end of Reconstruction, Reconstruction ends, Reconstruction is from 1865 to 1877, as the nation abandoned its black citizens and the South descended into the age of Jim Crow, African Americans succeeded against all odds in acquiring a remarkable amount of land. By 1910, black people claimed ownership of nearly 16 million acres of land in 1910. Okay? They did so in spite of the constant threat of forced dispossession at the hands of white mobs and officials. Sometimes black property owners faced sudden and violent attacks, such as the racial cleansing of Forsyth uh, County, uh, Georgia in 1912 and the destruction of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. Okay, so they're talking about how uh, African Americans lost land, and from 1920 to 1975, African Americans lost about 14 million acres of land. 14 million acres of land, and the wealth is tied into the land. So when we talk about reparations and we talk about policies, we also have to talk about land dispossession that took that was historic that took place. Uh, dealing with African Americans, and there was it was uh, violence inflicted, but it was also legal means like the uh, heirs' right, uh, heirs' rights, which is a legal loophole which allowed allow this land to be sold right from underneath our feet. Uh, read the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com. I talked I talked about this before when I dealt with African American soybean growers who filed a lawsuit against the Stein Seed Company because they alleged they were sold fake soybean seeds and they said this is a this is an attempt they said this is an attempt to uh, steal our land okay and there's a history of African Americans land and farmers land being stolen from us alright um, in 1920 you had about 925,000 African American farmers and then uh, from about 1920, 1960, uh, 1975, uh, we're going to uh, lose um, uh, over somewhere around 600,000, we lose actually more than uh, 600,000 farms, okay? And one of the ways that those farms were lost is that during the Great Depression, you had the Farmers Home Administration, the Farmers Home Administration, which made low interest loans to white farmers so they can pay the mortgages on their farms and mechanize their farms. And African American farmers were largely discriminated against when it came to these loans. And many of us, tens of, uh, actually hundreds of thousands of us, lost our farms. Just from 1930 to 1939, you, you have over 200,000 uh, farms that are lost. Just from that period of time, 1930 to 1939. They talk about this in the book, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. 
But read the uh, article from AtlantaBlackStar.com called From 15 Million Acres of Land to 1 Million, How Black People Lost Their Land. This is from June 30th, 2017 by David A. Love. You've heard me talk about this before. From 15 million acres of land to 1 million, how black people lost their land, okay? But all of this deals with a chronology of history and a legacy of slavery, okay? We can't get away from this, all right? This ties into the wealth gap. This ties into the lack of uh, African-American home ownership. And then also, um, I talked about this on my show uh, Sunday, if we look at the, uh, the study that came from the Brookings Institute, and there were a number of articles written about this. Uh, Ebony.com had an article dealing with this as well. But African-American home ownership, the African-American home ownership value is $156 billion less than that of white home ownership value, okay? And this is tied to, uh, also tied into a wealth disparity uh, also, okay? And let me try to pull up that article because uh, ebony.com has an article dealing with this and uh, also curbed.com, okay? And uh, we'll pull that up. And then uh, Black America Web had an article uh, that picked up on the USA Today uh, study that would article the big article from USA Today that talked about how the reverse mortgage trend is disproportionately stripping African American families uh, of wealth because they're losing their homes, getting caught up in the reverse mortgage trend. Uh, Melody Hobson talked about this uh, on the Tom Joe in the Morning show on BlackAmericaWeb.com has an article. Uh, uh, talking about this also, okay? So, I mean, this stuff is real. And what we see is, is that uh, oftentimes African-Americans are targeted when it came to some subprime mortgages, targeted when it comes to the reverse mortgages. This is, this is real and it all ties into our, uh, our wealth or lack of wealth, okay? Um, let's see, curbed.com, C-U-R-B, C-U-R-B-E-D, Curb.com has the article, How a Segregation Tax is Costing Black American Homeowners $156 Billion. How a Segregation Tax is Costing Black American Homeowners $156 Billion. MSNBC talked about this. They had stories. Uh, uh, Ali Velshi covered this. Ebony.com has an article. Uh, but this was a study from the Brookings Institution and Gallup study. Okay. That, that dealt with this. According to the devaluation of assets in black neighborhoods, the case of residential property, owner-occupied homes are undervalued by the real estate market across all majority black neighborhoods and consistently, and consistently sell or are appraised for lower prices at an average of $48,000 per home in, in a uh, lost value. Nationwide, this amounts to $156 billion in cumulative losses, what the report dubs a segregation tax. But people want to tell African Americans, just try harder. Just try harder. Well, when you study, when you study history, no, it was the federal government that helped create a lot, of this, a lot of these issues. And it was the federal government that provided aid for certain people and discriminated against African Americans. Okay, so when we talk about reparations, it was the federal government that created the problem. It's going to be through public policy. It's going to be the federal government that corrects the problem, repairs the damage through public policy. This this is what this is about. This is not asking for a handout. All right. Okay. 
So um, we'll post a link here to this article here also from Curbed.com. And somebody's sending me a message through Facebook while I'm trying to broadcast live. I don't know why the hell they're doing this, but anyway. All right. Um, let's see. Let me turn that off. All right. I have to get to that later. All right. How's everybody doing? If you like this type of information, also, you can donate to the African History Network, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, this helps us to keep doing the research, stay on the air. Uh, finance our Sunday night show and you can also order our DVD lectures uh, I have three new ones uh, this is the three-hour presentation I did dealing with the history of Juneteenth we'll post the links here this is at our website AfricanHistoryNetwork.com Juneteenth history emancipation day but not Independence Day we never got our 40 acres and a mule Dr. King's poor people's campaign we're coming to get our check this is I could get deep into the history uh, then also we have uh, let me see what's the other one I, just, I did three recently uh, this is from February 23rd, 2019, Black Migration, 1619 to 2019, from the birth of a nation to the red summer of 1919, the Great Migration, Detroit Race Ride in 1943. I deal with a lot of history here as well. This is during African American History Month. I did this. And May 11th, I did this presentation, Ancient Africans in America, Before Native Americans, Before Columbus or Slavery, from Kemet to Wakanda. Okay, so this is all available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, we have uh, on uh, Facebook here, we have uh, who, who, who Rhonda, Gunjaman, Trina, just a few of the people watching, uh, Latasha, and then on, let's see, on YouTube, we have Arlene, Christopher, uh, Trey, just a few of the people watching on YouTube. How's everybody doing? Okay. And uh, African American business owners, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast. Email us at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll let you know how you can advertise with the African History Network also. Okay. Our current promotion is get two months for the price of one. All right. So let's continue here. All this history is interconnected, interrelated. All right. And this is why it's important to understand the, the chronology of history. And one of the things I noticed at the at the hearing, the HR 40 hearing, is the people, the black people, the Republicans put up with talking about their feelings. Whereas Tana Hesse Coates and Dr. Julian Malvo are dealing with the science. They're actually dealing with the history. They're dealing with the statistics. All right. And this is how you this is how you have to do battle. You have to do battle with the facts and evidence, not feelings and emotions. All right. We have to do battle with the facts and evidence, not feelings and emotions. OK, let's continue here. Um, so if we go back to the uh, original article from uh, history.com, official website of the History Channel, dealing with uh, HR, dealing with uh, the not HR 40, but dealing with the uh, uh, GI Bill, okay, dealing with the GI Bill, and also in uh, how white folks got so rich, the untold story of American white supremacy, they talk about the GI Bill as well, okay. And uh, I may share an excerpt of that with you also. And when we have these conversations, once again, you know, I know different social media platforms have changed their uh, policies dealing with uh, hate speech. This is not hate speech. We're dealing with history. Okay? This is not hate speech. We're dealing with history. Unfortunately, oftentimes people want to attack us when we actually deal with the history and tell the truth. I wonder why. I haven't figured that out yet. Now, uh, so the GI Bill became one of the major forces 
that drove an economic expansion in America that lasted 30 years after World War II. So we're going from 1945 to 1975. Only 20 percent of the money set aside for unemployment compensation under the under the GI Bill was given out as most veterans found jobs or pursued higher education. Low interest home loans enabled millions of American families to move out of urban centers and build and buy or build homes outside the city. These are called suburbs. They don't want to tell you it's, it's a, and, and they say changing the face of the suburbs. This is called these are suburbs, okay? And then you have the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts of 1952 and 1956 that were lobbied for by the auto industry, lobbied for by the big three, used government money to build these uh, U.S. Interstate Highways that drove 41,000 miles of U.S. Interstate Highways throughout the throughout the country. They ran through the African American community, wiping out tens of thousands of our businesses and our homes. And what really people don't want to talk about is that th that this construction of the highways created thousands of jobs for white men to build the highways paid for by government money paid for by taxpayer money pay, paid for by taxpayer dollars right so when you talk about try harder you're talking to the wrong people I mean study the history when you talk about try harder what, what, what are you talking about so over the 50 years over 50 years, the impact of the GI Bill was enormous, with 20 million veterans and dependents using the education benefits and 14 million home loans guaranteed. 20 million veterans and their dependents using the education benefits uh, from the GI Bill and 14 million uh, home loans guaranteed for a total federal investment of $67 billion. Well, you got people paying taxes that, uh, you had people paying taxes that, that went to this $67 billion and uh, they, one, didn't benefit from it. Two, they were paying taxes after World War II ended. You, you had some people who were paying taxes that weren't even born when War, World War II ended. But their taxpayer dollars are still being used to finance the GI Bill. Among the millions of Americans who have taken advantage of the bill are former presidents George H.W. Bush, the father, and Gerald Ford, former Vice President Al Gore, and entertainers Johnny Cash, Ed McMahon, Paul Newman, and Clint Eastwood. They all took advantage of the GI Bill. So this is an, this is an article from History.com, which is the official website of the History Channel, FDR signs GI Bill. FDR signs GI Bill, June 22nd, 1944. So just three days after the H.R. 40 uh, reparations hearing, we were also commemorating the anniversary of Franklin Roosevelt signing the GI Bill into law. Okay, But then History.com had another article. Now, this article was written by Aaron Blakemore. And this article uh, was sent out like the same day and they posted it on their Facebook page. This, this article came out the same day that they were commemorating uh, uh, the signing of the GI Bill. This article deals with how the GI Bill's promise was denied 
to a million black World War II veterans. Because see, in the, in the, in the uh, uh, article dealing with FDR science, GI Bill, they didn't talk about the impact they had on African Americans, how we were discriminated against. I just, I find it interesting they left that out, but okay. Anyway, but at least uh, Aaron Blakemore wrote this article. Because this article really gets into it. So, the sweeping bill promised prosperity to veterans, so why didn't black Americans benefit? Now, when Eugene Burnett saw the neat track houses of Levittown, New York, he knew he wanted to buy one. It was 1949. Now, 1949 is the same year that, the, uh, that you have the uh, Federal Housing Act of 1949 that allows white people to put low interest, uh, to put 3% down uh, to get low interest loans to buy homes in the newly formed suburbs, all right? And there's an article from uh, InTheseTimes.com, uh, InTheseTimes.com, which ties into the history of Detroit. And it's called Beyond the Myth of Black Misleadership. Beyond the Myth of Black Misleadership. It's called Detroit's Downfall. Detroit's Downfall, Beyond the Myth of Black Misleadership. And it's written by Marilyn Katz. And Marilyn Katz talks about how all these policies Government policies were used to harm Detroit and African Americans in Detroit. Okay, it's a very, very interesting article because people wanted to blame Coleman Young and blame Kwame and all this stuff. They didn't want to deal with the federal policies that negatively impacted Detroit. And, and they didn't want to deal with the deindustrialization of the inner cities that were taking place all across the country. This was orchestrated, the deindustrialization of the inner cities. So it was 1949, and Eugene Burnett was ready to settle down in a larger home with his family. So this is four years after World War II ends. The newly established Long Island suburb seemed like the perfect place to, uh, to begin their post-war life, post-war life. One that he hoped would be improved with the help of the GI Bill a piece of sweeping legislation aimed at helping World War II veterans like Eugene Burnett prosper after the war. But when he spoke with a salesman about buying the house using a GI Bill guaranteed mortgage, the door to suburban life in Levitt, uh, uh, Levittown, New York, slammed firmly in his face. The suburb wasn't, was not open to African Americans. And see, you also had what were known as sundown towns. And sundown towns were, were uh, towns where you knew if you were black, you had to be out by sundown or you could be attacked by, by bigots. You could be uh, arrested, things like this. You, be, you, you could be harassed. So these were called sundown towns, all right? And if we look at page 47 of this book, just very quickly here, it talks about sundown towns. Literally, this is the second edition. The third edition is in my backpack because I took it to the um, radio station last night. Literally hundreds of American towns, many of them in the north, passed ordinances prohibiting African Americans from living in them or from being in the town after sundown. Maids, gardeners, and sanitation workers were given time to leave at night. They came to be known as sundown towns, and some of them actually had bells or horns that would signal when blacks were to vacate. The largest builder 
of these segregated towns in the post-World War II era was William Levitt, L-E-V-I-T-T, who built four massive towns and forbade the very presence of, quote, any person other than members of the Caucasian race, end quote. This is all dealing with laws and policies. One young black family that was able to surreptitious, surreptitiously purchase, that means covertly, okay, purchase a home in Levittown was subjected to a months-long terror campaign to drive them out. White people burned crosses, smashed windows, and persecuted uh, the African Americans around the clock. Republican pundit Bill O'Reilly was raised in Levittown, Long Island. This is the Levittown we're talking about right here that Eugene Burnett tried to buy a home in using the guaranteed mortgage loan from the GI Bill because he was a World War II veteran. Now builders like William Levitt and many others worked with discriminatory realtors and banks to ensure only whites could invest in prime real estate. This artificially increased white homeowners wealth as property values rose exponentially after World War II. So this had helped them to accumulate wealth dealing with the inflated value in their homes that we were largely excluded, largely, who the hell is calling Largely excluded from buying, okay? Largely excluded from buying. Now, this artificially increased white homeowners' wealth as property values rose exponentially after World War II and the equity in their homes allowed them to help their children secure property. Today more than three-fourths of white families own a home and 46% of them had help from their families in making down payments compared to just 12% of African Americans. Now this was at the time this book came out. This, this second edition came out in 2014 but it's still pretty accurate. Okay. Um, Levittown was named after uh, William Levitt, if I remember correctly. Okay, but this deals this deals with the sundown towns tied into these laws excluding African Americans from living in these towns. Okay, so uh, let's go back to the uh, article from history.com how the GI Bill's promise was denied to a million black World War II veterans okay and uh, everybody share this broadcast on your Facebook page on your YouTube channel this is some deep history that we're getting into okay and uh, also we'll, we'll post a link to the um, uh, the new lecture that I talked about as well then with the history of Juneteenth we'll put that here on the on the thread of the broadcast also okay all right how's everybody doing we got Quentin we got John Ray uh, visit his website workingwithjohnray.com uh, we've got Trey on uh, YouTube uh, Lemmy, Christopher just a few of the people watching uh, on YouTube and uh, Facebook alright okay let's continue here alright so now when, when um, Burnett spoke with uh, when Eugene Burnett spoke with the salesman about buying the house in Levittown, uh, New York. Using a GI Bill guaranteed mortgage, the door to suburban life in Levittown slammed firmly in his face. The suburb was not open to African Americans. 
His wife, Bernice, said, quote, it was a, it was as though it wasn't real. Look at this house. Can you imagine having this? And then for them to tell me because of the color of my skin that I can't be part of it, end quote. Now, the Burnett's were not the only African-Americans for whom the promise of the GI Bill turned out to be an illusion. OK, though the bill helped white Americans prosper uh, and accumulate wealth in uh, the post-war years, it did not deliver on that promise for veterans of color, specifically African-Americans. OK, I don't know why they just I don't know why don't know why they just didn't say black people. Yeah, veterans of color, but the majority of the people you're talking about are African-Americans. Now, in fact, the widespread disparity uh, in the bill's implementation ended up helping driving growing gaps in wealth, education, and civil rights between white and black Americans. So this is created by the government. The GI Bill was from the government. The GI Bill helped to exacerbate the uh, wealth disparities between African Americans and, uh, and, and and white families. So if you're dealing with government policy that helped to create this problem and helped to exacerbate the problem, then it's going to be government policy that solves the problem. Okay? The solution to this is not economic empowerment for African Americans. The solution is I'm all for economic empowerment. I'm all for investing in the stock market. I'm all for us having more businesses and things like this. But that's not why, that's not how this problem existed. The problem existed from government policy. So if it was government policy that created the problem, it's going to be government policy that solves the problem. Telling African Americans to try harder and own more businesses and all this don't solve that problem. Because that's not what created it. They're trying to distract you and send you off in another direction and not address the systemic racism that created this problem in the first place. Now, my degree is in business administration. I'm all for us owning more businesses. We went from 1.9 million African-American-owned businesses in 2007 to about 4 million black-owned businesses in 2019. And 95% of them don't have any employees. They're largely undercapitalized. Okay. So I'm all for this, but I ain't for playing games with our people. We need to tell the truth about what caused this. Now, while the GI Bill's language did not specifically exclude African-American veterans from its benefits, it was structured in a way that ultimately shut doors for the 1.2 million black veterans who had bravely served their country during World War II in segregated ranks. 1.2 million African-American uh, veterans, African-American soldiers served in World War II and they're largely excluded from this GI Bill that their taxpayer dollars are paying for, creating opportunities for white GIs. So all this came about from the fear of the advancement of African-Americans. Here's what happened. This is how politics legally distributes. This is how politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources. Now, when lawmakers began drafting the GI Bill in 1944, some Southern Democrats, also known as Dixiecrats, some Southern Democrats feared that returning World War II veterans would use public sympathy for veterans to advocate against Jim Crow laws. How dare them? Now, see, you got to understand, during World War II, there was a double V campaign that African-American soldiers were uh, involved in. And this was created by 
uh, black newspapers, I think it was the Pittsburgh Courier that talked about this, that, that created this double V campaign. It was victory abroad fighting against the Nazis, fighting against Hitler, okay? It's victory, uh, victory abroad and victory at home fighting against Jim Crow segregation, fighting to, be, uh, fighting to get full class citizenship, fighting against racism at home. They had a double V campaign. During World War II, you had a huge race ride that broke out in Detroit. In June of 1943, you had the Detroit race ride of 1943 that broke out, okay? So while African-American men are serving abroad and then fighting for their country, you got their families dealing with segregation and you have other African-Americans dealing with segregation here in this country, dealing with uh, uh, segregation, the Ku Klux Klan. So when they come back home, they say, look, we're not dealing with the same segregation. We want all of our rights right now. We want first class citizenship. And they're fighting to break down the walls of segregation, which is going to lead to the what we know as the modern day civil rights movement, starting with the Montgomery bus boycott, which started the, the Monday morning, December 5th, 1955. Okay. After Brown versus Board of Education desegregation case, uh, that ruling May of 1954. You have the desegregation of the armed forces in 1947, two years after World War II ends. You have the uh, a Democratic Party who's going to have a more pro-civil rights agenda uh, during the 1948 presidential uh, campaign. And you're going to have Strom Thurmond who was a segregationist Dixiecrat, segregationist Southern Democrat, who's going to run uh, on the platform of segregation. He runs as a Dixiecrat in 1947-48. And then Strom Thurmond, because of things like the Civil Rights Act of 64, Voting Rights Act of 65, he's going to end up leaving the Democratic Party. And where did Strom Thurmond go? He went to the Republican Party, where a lot of the Southern Dixiecrats went after the Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Rights Act of 65, Executive Order 11246, uh, which was known as Affirmative Action of September 1965. A lot of them are going to go to the Republican Party where they're going to end up staying in that mentality largely persists now. Okay? See, this is what a lot of people don't want to talk about. When they had the hearing and you had Representative Gomer of Texas talking, to, talking about history of the Democrats, he don't want to tell you where those Southern segregationists went. <laughs> See, they, they don't want to have that conversation, right? When you had Burgess Owens talking about the Democratic Party created the Ku Klux Klan. No, they didn't. It was, it was people who were Democrats who created the Ku Klux Klan, December 24th, 1865 in Pulaski, Tennessee. It wasn't the Democratic Party that created the Klan. But he didn't want to talk about the Southern strategy. He didn't want to talk about the Lily White movement created by Republicans in 1928 to get Herbert Hoover elected, who was running against a Northern Democrat named Al Smith. And they implemented a five state Southern strategy to lure Southern segregationist Democrats to vote for the Republican Party. And Herbert Hoover win. They don't want to have this conversation. I, I find it very interesting. Why? I find it very interesting how Republicans don't want to talk about this. The Lily White movement of 1928 
which which pushed African-Americans out of the Republican Party and they go to the Democratic Party because this was a movement to ignore the issues and the conditions of African-Americans, especially ignore the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, which was rejuvenated by the movie The Birth of a Nation in 1915. And African-Americans are, 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 are trying to get their issues addressed by the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, and the Lily White movement is pushing them out and turning a blind eye, uh, turn, uh, turn a blind eye to them and a deaf ear to lure more Southern Democrats into the Republican Party and appeal to the Southern segregation. They don't want to have this conversation. See, I should have been on that panel because I would have wore that behinds out. A lot of this information is on their own website, house.gov. I know because I've done the research. A lot of this information talking about the party realignment comes from house.gov, which is the official website of the House of Representatives. So how is it Representative uh, Gomer, a Texas Republican, don't want to deal with this? And this is on your own website. So if we're going to deal with the history, we need to deal with it correctly. Uh, Jay Marie said, come on, Michael, bring it all the way to the present <laughs> time. <laughs> still in slavery. No, no, I'm not still in slavery. What are you talking about? But many of us still have a slave mentality. Okay, so I don't know if it's stopped broadcasting on YouTube or Facebook or what, but hey, we're still going on YouTube, so we're going to keep going. All right. I'm, brought, I'm using Crowdcast. Usually I was using Zoom, right? But I'm using Crowdcast to broadcast on Facebook and YouTube at the same time, okay? Okay, so let's continue. All right, so fear of African-American advancement. Imagine that. Some of the same people that tell you to try harder were the ones writing laws to make it harder for you to achieve the American dream. Now, when lawmakers began drafting the GI Bill in 1944, some Southern Democrats feared that returning World War II veterans would use public sympathy for veterans to advocate for Jim Crow laws. To make sure the GI Bill largely benefited white people, the Southern Democrats, the Dixiecrats, drew on tactics that had previously uh, been used to ensure that the New Deal helped as few black people as possible. Now, some of the policies are going to help more African-Americans than other, but largely these policies are going to discriminate against African-Americans. Not because originally they were designed to do this, but it was the way that the the way that the resources were distributed. They were largely 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 distributed at the state level as opposed from the federal level. During the here's an example how this happened during the drafting of the law, the chair of the House Veterans Committee, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N, remember that name, segregationist, Democrat, uh, Southern Democrat, Dixiecrat. So at this time, you have the Northern Democrats who in general were more liberal, but not always, but in general more liberal. The, the Northern Democrats, then you have the Southern segregationist uh, Democrats, also known as the Dixiecrats. Okay, so... Mississippi Congressman John Rankin, Rankin played hardball and instead and insisted that the program be administered by individual states instead of the federal government. Individual states instead of the federal government. He got his way. Mississippi Congressman John Rankin was known for his virulent racism. He defended segregation, opposed interracial marriage. And had been and had even proposed legislation to confine, then deport 
every person with Japanese heritage during World War II. We know that the Japanese were uh, paid reparations because of being put in uh, detention camps, okay? And if you read the article, New York Times had a number of good articles dealing with this. And, and one, of the, one of the really good things about the H.R. 40 um, reparations hearing, even though, you know, they should have had more, I think, historians and things like this. And, you know, this person wasn't there, that person wasn't there. There have been dozens of articles written about the hearing and written about this history surrounding this topic, digging deep into this history. And more people are becoming educated on this issue. New York Times had an article June 19, 2019. America has tried reparations before. Here's how it went. America has tried reparations before. Here's how it went. So it talked about, you know, uh, Japanese Americans who were interned in World War II, survivors of police abuses in Chicago, uh, victims of forced sterilization in North Carolina, all paid uh, reparations. Uh, but they talked about... Um, World War II, def defining the wrong done to Japanese Americans was fairly straightforward, okay? And they talk about the Japanese American Evacuation Claims Act of 1948. Japanese American Evacuation Claims Act of 1948 offered compensation for real and personal property that Japanese Americans lost. About $37 million was paid to 26,000 claimants. Um, but no provision was made for lost freedom or violated rights. Now that's going to come in 1988, 1988 when Congress voted to extend an apology and pay $20,000 to each Japanese American survivor of the internment that took place during World War II. More than $1.6 billion was, was paid to 82,219 eligible claimants. Now, this was in 1988. This came from taxpayer dollars. So you had taxpayers in the 1980s whose taxpayer, taxpayer dollars went to pay reparations for what happened during 1941, 42, things like this. But some of the people paying taxes weren't even born when uh, Japanese were put in internment camps, but yet their taxpayer dollars still paid for this. But there were no mass protests against this. I wonder why. But there were no, the, 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 a, lot of the, a lot of the people who were, I mean, some of the same people who are against reparations, some of the same people in Congress who are against reparations or even having a hearing to discuss this, to form a committee, some of those same people weren't against uh, these reparations paid out to Japanese Americans. So I, I just find it interesting when they come up with these little uh, uh, arguments. When there's a history of them paying out reparations, at least trying to do the right thing for all these other people. I just, I just, I, I can't put my finger on what's wrong with this. I don't, I, I can't figure it out. <laughs> Read this article. This is an extensive article from New York Times by Adele, Adil Hassan and Jack Healy. America has tried reparations before. Here's how it went. Okay, we'll post a link here on the thread of our broadcast also for this. Um, and it says, with a renewed focus on reparations for slavery, what lessons can be drawn from payments to victims of other historical injustices in America? Hmm. You paying reparations? You got people whose taxpayer dollars in 1988 are paying for what happened decades before, and some of them weren't even born when it happened. Some of them didn't even know any Japanese. Imagine that. I bet you they like Japanese food, though. You know. 
Alright, let's continue. How's everybody doing on YouTube? I don't know if we're still on Facebook or what, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> okay, so, uh, Mi Mississippi Congressman John Rankin was known for his virulent racism. He defended segregation, opposed interracial marriage, and even proposed legislation to confine, then deport every person with Japanese heritage during World War II. All right. Now, when uh, the bill came to a committee vote, he was stonewalled in an attempt to gut another provision that entitled all veterans to $20 a week of unemployment compensation for a year. Okay. Now, uh, Mississippi Congressman John Rankin knew this would represent a significant gain for, for black Southerners. So he refused to cast a critical proxy vote in protests. The American Legion ended up tracking down the congressman who had left his proxy vote with John Rankin and flying him to Washington to break the deadlock. Okay, now that $20 a week unemployment compensation for a year, that would have helped a whole lot of white uh, men down in Mississippi. But John Rankin has such a hatred that it could benefit some African Americans. He was willing to sacrifice some of his own people to keep these resources from African Americans. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement, and is largely the legal distribution based upon race. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. Racism is a system of advantage of privilege distributed based upon race. Racism doesn't have to do with not liking people, calling people racial epithets, okay? Even though that could be part of it, racism is a power structure. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. And we see an example with this here with Governor Rankin and this, this policy, this, this bill, this law that was going to distribute wealth and resources uh, largely based upon race okay also if you like this type of information you can donate to the african history network paypal.me forward slash the ahn show paypal.me forward slash the ahn show we'll post a link here on the thread and then be sure to register for the online course that i'm uh teaching uh ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school and this is an eight-week, 16-hour uh, online course. All this, We do it live uh, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again if you miss anything. There's also about 36 hours of bonus content, including the previous class I did, full class I did in uh, September 2017. Okay, so that online course is $80. As soon as you register, you can watch the bonus content. You can watch... Uh, session one and uh, you'll be ready for uh, session two Wednesday June 26 okay uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time all right so let's continue here and uh, this is freezing up I don't know why okay here we go we'll try to post this here how's everybody doing on YouTube all right so uh, President Roosevelt signed the servicemen's readjustment act into law on June 22, 1944, also known as the GI Bill. All right, and only weeks—this was only weeks after the D-Day offensive began, which was June 6, 1944. 
So it, um, it ushered into law sweeping benefits for veterans, including college tuition, low-cost home loans, and unemployment insurance as well. All right. But this is largely going to discriminate against African Americans. So the GI Bill's effect on black veterans, what was that? From the start, black veterans had uh, trouble securing the GI Bill's benefits. Okay? Some could not assess benefits. Um, some could not assess benefits because they had not been given an honorable discharge, okay, from the military, and a much larger number of uh, African American veterans were discharged dishonorably than their white counterparts. A lot of that had to do with racism and things we were facing uh, during during World War II. Okay, the second the the, the, the the discrimination we were facing, and also when you read about um, African American soldiers looking after the Nazi prisoners, they talked about how the Nazi prisoners were treated better than the African American soldiers. Okay. And there, there were stories that were written about that during uh, the commemoration also of um, 75th commemoration of D-Day. All right, now veterans who did not qualify uh, could find, veterans who did not qualify could not find facilities that delivered on the GI Bill's promise. Black veterans in a vocational training program at a segregated uh, high school in Indianapolis were unable to participate in activities related to plumbing, 